welcome to season two of the Dare to Believe podcast. Hey, Rebecca. Hey, Christy. Are you excited about season two? I'm very excited about season two. We've got a lot of great guests for our listeners and interviews full of revelation, awesome stories and testimonies that will encourage and inspire you, our listener, for the more of God. So we want you to dare to believe. Hi, and welcome to the Dare to Believe podcast. This is Rebecca Ribnick. I am on the road without Christy, so I feel a little bit strange here, but I'm here in Buenos Aires, Argentina, so I'm far from home. It is springtime. It is beautiful. It's like 75 degrees and sunny, and I'm here with Kim and Sherry Babcock, who have been missionaries in Buenos Aires for 15 years? Yeah. 15 years. Wow. And I'm just really excited to share some of their story with you guys, our listeners, um, they have a lot to share. So one of my favorite things about my time here is actually just hanging out with the two of them. So um, Kim and Sherry, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Becca, for inviting us to your podcast. We are hoping that our words encourage people today and that God can work during this pod- podcast. Yeah. Awesome. It's a privilege to be with you. Thanks, Sherry. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, first questions. You guys are you're from Michigan. Yes. So we're a long ways from Michigan. Or you're from New York. Upstate New York originally, but okay. the last 37 years with my wife uh, in Michigan, yeah. <laughs> when he married me, he converted to Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's love right there. There you go. It's colder. It's about the same. About the same? Yeah. It, oh, well. Where he lives in upstate New York, it's about the same. Okay, so it's not, well, we're in Minnesota, so. <laughs> um, yeah, we're in the banana belt compared to you. <laughs> Yeah, the warm and tropical. Well, it is warm and tropical <laughs> here in Buenos Aires. So, well, yes. not maybe not tropical, but yeah. it's um, it's as far south of the equator as the Carolinas are north right. of the equator. Like, yeah. So, just a like grid for people where how far down Argentina really is. We are we're down here. Yes, we it's are. It's a long way down. <laughs> it's about a twelve-hour flight from Los Angeles or ten hours from Miami. So, yeah, we're yeah. a ways away. We're a ways away. So, how did you get here? Well, we were pastoring in the upper peninsula of michigan for several years where there, and, there are more black bears than people <laughs> and uh, god blessed us there uh, it was a training time and, a, and, and we, we felt called to go back into missions right after the twin towers actually went oh, down wow. and we were i really felt a urgency to go back on the mission field and to reach the world and during that time the lord opened doors we we were in cuba several times ministering and we really felt like Possibly we go to Cuba, and then when the door opened up, it ended up that God wanted us to be in Argentina. We'd never stepped foot in Argentina, never felt like there was a need for us to be here. But we really came because we 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 just had this leading that uh, that that's the place we we're supposed to be, and that's where actually our directors and missions felt like we needed to go. And so we we prayed about it and had a peace about it. So that's how we ended up in Argentina. At first, I laughed at him. I said, <laughs> I've read the books about Argentina. I know about the revivals. They don't need us in Argentina. That's like asking us to go to South Korea to teach them how to pray, you know. And, <laughs> and um, they said, no, yeah, obviously there's been some moves of God, but, like, would we say that all of America has been reached because of the Brownsville revival? Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, I got the picture. And so... Um, Becky, our, one of our daughters, had been praying and fasting that we wouldn't be sent to a 
quote, bad place, unquote, <laughs> which I think she meant like really religious place where she would have to wear dresses and, and that kind of stuff. But when we called her up and said, hey, it looks like the Lord is telling us to go to Argentina, she was ecstatic. She just like, oh, I'm so excited because she had read the books too. <laughs> so Becca, probably a good thing to say right here to those that are listening is, you know, we, we can't determine where God wants us by by the need that we see with our own eyes or what we That's hear about. Point. We really need to know what God is saying right. in the in the moment, in the time that he's speaking, because you could go to the possibly the most evangelized place on the planet and say, well, why do they need me there? But if God's sending you there, there's people there that you're going to reach that nobody else is reaching there. Yeah. And yeah. that's why God sent us to Argentina to reach people that nobody else was reaching to establish things that other people were not establishing, you know, to build the body of Christ in a way that, that nobody else was really doing it in that season Yeah. when we came. That's important. That's an important point. Um, but something you said, I'm just going to dial it back a minute. Something you said, you said back in, on the mission field, well, which we, implies that you were somewhere else to begin Yeah, we with. were on the mission field with YWAM years ago and then came back home to the States and pastored for 12 years in the United States and then really felt the call to go back to the field in a, anyways. One of the things when we got married, we said, we do not want to be pastors. We'll be missionaries, but not pastors. <laughs> well, let me tell you, <laughs> you never want to put a, uh, knock a post in too deep with the, with the whole, no, I'll never do this because <laughs> sometimes that's what the Lord knows that you need in order to be able to go to the next step of ministry. So we went into mm. YWAM when our oldest son, Jeremiah, was 22 months old, not even two, and Becky was two months old. Oh so goodness. we went with WeeWammers. <laughs> and um, I don't recommend that. That is crazy. But we survived, and it was a it was a good experience overall. We were there for um, two and a half years, and actually, we were there for four years. Two of those years were spent in Chile, where we adopted child number three, Jonathan. That's a whole other story. But um, God wanted Jonathan in our family, so we were there. And then that's when the Lord called us back. We had to hear a call to go back to the States mm. to become pastors because there are things that he wanted to teach us. And Kim's definition of a pastor is someone that God works on in public. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That's a great definition. <laughs> I think that probably a, a, an important thing to say right here is that how do we hear the voice of the Lord and, you know, in, in the direction for our lives? Because us going into YWAM, which Sherry just mentioned it with a 22-month-old and a two-month-old, you know, we just had this peace you know, when I look back, I thought we were crazy, but we yeah, weren't crazy. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's... Because... I, mean, that, I know the feeling. I know the feeling of very, a crazy decision. Our very first pizza. outreach, I think, I think we, Becky, we went in when she was two months old. She was only, she wasn't even, what, she was five, seven? She was five months when we went on our first outreach to Belize. And so we drove all the way through Texas in a, in a school bus that back in those days was YWAM, <laughs> and then all the way through Mexico... Oh, all the way to the Yucatan Peninsula, all the way man. to, to uh, Belize. And, you know, in the Lord kept all, there were several kids on this trip. The Lord kept all of them safe. 12, of, 12 kids and 18 adults on this trip. So oh the, we had all sorts of things that we went through on that trip, but nothing, nothing drastic. Everybody was kept safe. All the kids were protected. There were the scorpions Lord, falling out of ceilings and none of the kids got stunned. Yeah. So just the <laughs> Lord just really, so it's all, you know, we look back on those times in, in the, in what that does, it, it builds faith in yeah. us. You know, when yeah. God tells us to go do something, he's not, 
he's, he's not taking us to our death unless we're called to be a martyr, I suppose. Uh, but but he's, not, he's, he's usually calling us to form us, to shape yeah. us, to build our faith that we're going to trust him more. Yeah. So he had to call you back to the pastorate. He had to call us back. Back to Michigan from the mission field. Yeah. Be- because your, your heart was to be missionaries, and he knew that to go to the next step in missions and to do what he prepared for you to do, you needed that time. Right. And, and also, we needed to connect with the local church. I, I want to say this. It's so important. We, we realize that God really doesn't do too much apart from the local church. Obviously, there's ministries that are uh, para-ecclesiastical ministries, you know, that are apart from parachurches ministries. But really, they, they're all con- they need to all be connected to the local church because everybody needs a body to be connected to. And so yeah. when we went back to the States, the really the emphasis on the local church was so important to us, uh, you know, as pastors yeah. in the area of, of making disciples. Yeah. So maybe a lot of times we don't, we, we look at the local church and go, are they really making disciples? Well, that's our, all of our jobs mm-hmm. as, as Christians to make disciples. So we need to be connected to a local church where we're being discipled and where, where we're discipling others. That was probably the, our biggest takeaway from YWAM, besides learning that relationship is the most important word in the vocabulary. You know, your relationships are to keep those. And, that, and so I would say our YWAM time was vital for us for the rest of our ministry because we used the teachings of hearing God relationships and that kind of thing um, throughout the rest of our ministry. But we also learned the importance of our local church and that really you cannot change society outside of the local church. And so that is what we got, a whole new appreciation for the local church. And then God said, okay, now go back and pastor. We were associate pastors for seven years in Ludington, Michigan, and then principal uh, main pastors I'm sorry, five years in Ludington and 12 years up in the Upper Peninsula, where we were, we were so far away from everybody. But that helped us because when God took us to Argentina, we started out working with pastors who were isolated, brand new pastors who felt forgotten, isolated, mm-hmm. and alone, and poor. And we could be, we understood them on every level. Becca, we were five years in Ludington and seven years in the Upper Peninsula, not 12 years in the Upper Peninsula. Just, yeah, but anyway, so all those experiences in the, in the pastorate were very, very vital in us yeah. understanding the importance of being committed to a group of people. Mm. So, so one of the things that I find nowadays is like people want to see the supernatural, which we totally want to see the supernatural. We've seen tons of healings and deliverances and people's lives transformed, but it, they have a really hard time. I think some people put it finding their tribe, finding the people that they belong to yeah. and the people yeah. that they're going to be ministering with. Yeah. So it's not just seeing the signs and wonders and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's also being connected to the church, connected to the body of Christ. So vital. Yeah. Otherwise, we're just, we're like uh, people that are separated and we're going to be picked off one by sure. one by the enemy. So it's so important that we're just connected and that we're relational before, that we're, before we're really walking in the power or along with walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Because otherwise we're, we're we're not really completing or, or fulfilling the Great Commission. You know what I'm saying? We're not we're not walking in all that God calls us to walk in. And to clarify, you're not talking about people it just in vocational ministry. No, not at all. We're talking about everybody in the church, you know, whether they're an engineer, a doctor, or a politician, that that important connection with having a cell group, having a small group, people that you can be accountable to and that, that, that can be accountable to, you know, just that that body type of ministry that we all need 
to really be healthy. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. I love that God was teaching you about the church before you came to Argentina because, uh, yeah. well, I want to touch on this a little bit too because I know a lot of our listeners maybe will have heard the Argentine revival or heard reference to that. But, you know, I hate to say in the U.S. I was pretty unaware of revival history. And we, I remember our very first month at Bethel when I was at ministry school there, Claudio Freitzen came and I had no idea who he was. Not a clue. I mean, he's talking about the great Argentine revival. And I'm like, what happened in Argentina? I had not ever heard of the Argentine revival. So it's possible. I'm just saying, if I, if I had no idea, I'm sure, you know, a lot of our listeners have heard about it. Uh, but there's, you know, a lot of names associated with the, the Argentine revival, including Claudio Freitzen, uh, Carlos Anacondia, uh, Ed Silvoso, who we were just talking earlier today about Ed Silvoso's ministry model, which includes a lot to do with the local church. So I love, I see a tie there, but can you, can you give us a little recap of the Argentine revival? <laughs> That's a big question. Well, in the 80s, when um, the Argentine army went to reclaim the Falkland Islands, and they failed, and it was a, it was a terrible blow to the pride of the country. Um, Which they, they were fighting, the, Argentina <clears throat> and, and England fought a war in the 80s. A lot of Americans don't have a understanding of that. Over the Falkland Islands because they were close to Argentina and Argentina decided they wanted them back and um, England didn't want them back. The people didn't want them to go into into the Argentine system. But when that was all over, the people were very demoralized and that was about the time that the Lord raised up Carlos Anacondia, who was a businessman, and he, he got saved, and the Lord put in his heart a real desire to see Argentina saved. And he began to do campaigns. And if you want an incredible book, um, get the book Listen to Me, Satan by Carlos Anacondia. And it's full of incredible stories, miracles, and a changing of a nation. Let me back up a little bit, Sherry. When Carlos Anacondia first came to the Lord, he attended a church. You know, they hadn't experienced revival yet. And, and his pastor asked him to take up the offering. So he stood up to take up the offering. And when he prayed for the offering, there were people in the church that manifested demonic spirits. Yeah. Yeah. And so they fell on the floor and the church really did not know how to even handle that sure. in, this, in this particular uh, time in the church history. And just to give you a little bit of idea of why he started campaigns. And then, so he, anyways, he moved from there to, to not really going to Bible school, but really just believing everything that the Bible said. So if you hear Carlos Anacondia preach nowadays, he'll, he'll almost always in every sermon refer to Mark chapter 16, you know, mm-hmm. about, you know, that God is get you know, that this, these signs shall follow them that believe, you know, they shall lay hands on the sick, they shall recover, they shall cast out demons, raise the dead, all these things are a part of his DNA. And so he's, how could he continue to walk in this for the last 40 some years? He's really never changed his message. Yeah. And he really preaches basically the same five to 10 messages. And, and, but, but what I'm saying, the reason I'm mentioning this is sometimes we feel like we need to have new revelation, new this, but what God reveals to you is vitally important. We don't need to try to copy somebody else. And Carlos Anacondia is a very respected person in, in, the, in the world as far as an evangelist or people that he reaches out to. 
And so during the, those, the 80s, there were many, many, many people. We could talk the whole hour just on him, but so there were many people that were touched. And, and then you go to the 90s, um, economically, they hit a real bad time. And, Car- and um, Claudio Frizone had gone to the States. He got an incredible encounter with the Holy Spirit. He came back, and he began to share about it, and the Holy Spirit fell on his church in ways that were just amazing. I mean, they would have nine-hour revival services, and people said the time went by like it just flew. Nobody wanted to go home, and this would go for months. And there were people from all over Argentina that came to these meetings, and then they would go back, and the same thing would happen in their churches. And that is also a book called um, Holy Spirit, I Hunger for You by Claudio Friedzone, if you want more information on that one. I'll link both of those books in the show notes for our listeners. Okay, and so we've got some, so there was just a lot of neat things that happened, but then you get into the, into 2000, and you go on, and when, by the time we got here, um, because that had all happened in the early 90s, and by the time we got here, there was very little of that left, and now we are working with the teenagers and the young people of people that remember this it's like a distant memory sure. and so now sure. we have to start over again because they did not really know how to sustain care, to that. sustain yeah. this yeah. right which and is actually a conversation we've had in several of our podcast episodes is passing on revival to the next generation and your breakthroughs to the next generation so it's interesting being in argentina and seeing like ooh, that maybe wasn't um maybe wasn't done as well and obviously we learned from the past so yeah. they, they didn't have a lot of models to look to but right you know what we want to see is, is is my generation take take the handoff from your generation in the appropriate time and then pass that on. Exactly. But I, I read somewhere that about half of one percent of Argentina was uh, kind of like a born again believer before the revival in the eighties, mm-hmm. and then afterwards in the nineties, they say about ten percent. So, I mean, that's a significant number yeah. of people who were Between the, the revival in the 80s that brought it up to about 7% and probably up to the, and through the 90s, I would say that's where it came to the next 3%. Yeah. Many of the pastors that pastor today were one in that revival in the 80s. They, yeah. they came to Jesus in the 80s. Now, now they're pastoring churches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. so great. So, go yeah. ahead. But now they're older. Yeah. And they've got to learn how to trust the new generation, the younger mm-hmm. generation, with the things of the Lord to be able to do things in a little different way. Same message, different methods, so that we don't lose this generation. So what God has called Sherry and I to do, I think, in Argentina, to get to what the, our ministry is, I believe is, and I believe this is the ministry for so many people all over the globe, is to connect the older generation with the young generation, to, to, for the generation, the younger generation to say, you have something to teach me. Please talk to me. Please communicate to me. Please lay hands on me. Please bless me as, as a son or a daughter. Right. Also for the older generation to realize that we don't just have uh, it, members in our church, but we actually, God has called us to be spiritual fathers and mothers to, the, to yes. this next generation. If you look at the, the family situation that's right now in the world, it's so... It's such a devastated family that we, we find globally. And so when the church takes its place and they become, begin to become spiritual fathers and mothers, then we begin to bless our spiritual children. And we are, we are not threatened when they grow bigger than we yeah, are or they, they have more anointing than we have or that they, they have more results than we have even. We're blessed. We're always blessed when our kids go further than us. Yeah. 
And, and, and I feel like Argentina, we're in that place right now where God is really trying to impart more and more this, the heart of a spiritual, uh, the paternity of God, the, the, the heart of the Father God into, into church leadership mm-hmm. so that we don't lose what God wants to do. But it, but it goes on and it, it grows and it has, it has a richer flavor if it's, if it's multi-generational instead of it's just one, you know, like, no, I have to pull myself up in my generation. I can't count on the last generation. And we need to bless every generation that's going to follow us if we're really going to walk in biblical standards. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. So practically, that means you're working with the youth here yeah. in Argentina, all over the country. Yes. What does that look like? Well, we have our ministry center here in Buenos Aires, and we have a staff of nine young people between the ages of 18 and um, most of them are 18 and 22. We are, Our chief of staff right now um, is a young couple, and they're 25 and 24, and they're just amazing. They've been with us now for about between five and seven years. And what happens is these kids go all over the nation, and we, we have leadership schools if there are churches that want to be a part of, our, of the ministry. We go to their church, and we bring other churches leaders in the area, and we teach them everything we know. Um, we minister to them. We give them practical tips on how to work with teenagers. And then we afterwards, they get their people together, and then we send one of our staff members to that area, and they do a, a, like a camp with the mm. kids, a level one. And that's getting everybody saved and <laughs> yeah. deeper. And then they have re- requisites that they have to um, fulfill, like they have to learn 20 verses, they have to do 30 presentations, and because there's a lot of discipleship and evangelism that's taught in those in those camps, they have um, devotional manuals that they have to fill out so that they learn how to have devotions with Jesus every day. So that there's things that they have to do, and when they fulfill these these requirements, then we send one of our one of our staff members back to that area again and everyone that has fulfilled that gets to go to level two which is all about the holy spirit Um, we want every one of them to have an encounter with the holy spirit they take them out to do holy spirit supernatural evangelism just amazing time then they have more prerequisites or requisites that they need to fill in order to go to the next level we have six levels and so it's like uh and and you can and these teams can be the whole youth group or can be a like the seal team of the youth group Group, you know sure. the ones that want to even go farther, and and um, that's that's what kind of what we're doing in that area. That's more the mechanical that Sherry's talking about, the how we, how we do it. But to to wrap it up into a nutshell, what does that look like? Second Timothy chapter two verse two says, "You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust them to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others." What it looks like for us, Becca, is like pouring in to these disciples that God has given us in our staff and in believing in them, mm-hmm. believing yeah. that God has called them, believing in the, in the anointing on their life, even sometimes when they don't believe in themselves, trusting that God's going to speak through them, taking a risk on them by sending them, you know, to several us. hundred miles away <laughs> without us. Yeah, yeah. And, and trusting that the God is going to fill their, their lips, and that they're going to grow in integrity, going to grow in the word, going to grow in anointing. And then for them to share their heart with this generation. So, so basically what it, is, what it looks like is, is making disciples that are going to make other disciples. 
So what, what we're seeing now in the long run, we've been this, in, in doing this particular ministry for almost 11 years now, is that now we have people that are lawyers, people that are news broadcasters, people that are in different parts of society that have went through Castle, that have went through training, that have went through this discipleship program that we have. Mm-hmm. And, and, and basically they're, they're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what we believe is, is, is the only way to change we can stand and criticize the church or standing and, and say bad things or whatever. It, the only way to change is to change it from the grassroots up, to begin to see things happen in the church among young people, among teenagers, among, among children. And, and as they grow up, discipling them in yep. the supernatural, discipling them in the word of God, they bring change to their profession, to their family, to their community. Yeah. And alongside to this national ministry, we have uh, now a discipleship school that is, um, it's 10 months, or nine months, yeah, it's 10 months, and uh, the kids live here, and they learn, they have Bible classes, they have work details, they have, um, they work on character issues, uh, (laughs) evangelism of all kinds, and it's really been fun, but our, our goal is that they would raise the dead in the morning and clean the toilets in the afternoon and understand that. That. that all of that is part of the normal Christian life. That's right. That's so yeah. good. That's such a good picture, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And it takes, and some of, most of the kids that come in, they've never cooked. Some of them have never done dishes. Some of them don't have know how to sweep a floor. So those are all things that they get to learn while they're here. Plus, how to lay hands on the sick. They are they're winning people to Jesus on a weekly basis. Um, they're they are invading neighborhoods with prayer and just we're seeing some amazing results. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of our girls just lately, she was on a train. And uh, there was a man that was just going off about the government and how bad everything was and the economy. And I mean, he probably had, he was probably saying things are all true, but he was just real belligerent and everyone around him was getting really uncomfortable. And she's just a little gal. She's 20 years old, just real <laughs> little. And uh, she's like, Jesus, what do I do? And suddenly she had a feeling and the Lord just gave her kind of this, this knowing that he had lost his daddy when he was seven years old. This guy's probably in his 40s now, right? So she's like, okay, Jesus. And she took a risk. She walked over to me and said, sir, can I, can I talk to you a minute? And he's like, yeah, I don't care. So she sits down beside him and he looks at her kind of suspiciously, like, what do you have to say? And she said, did you lose your daddy when you were seven years old? And he reared back and said, who told you? How do you know? And she just said, well, I just felt like God, he loves you so much. He told me because he knows there's pain in your heart. And she began to just minister the love of God. And he just, all of his bluster left and he dropped his head and he said, I'm backslidden. He said, I haven't been to church in six months. And, and she just kept on talking to him about how much God loved him. And then, you know, before, just before she had to jump off the train, he looks up and he has hope in his eyes and he says, I'm going back. Don't worry. I'm going back wow, to church. Wow, and it's just wow. like, he just had that reconnect, you know, and, and just things like that. You know, these are becoming daily occurrences, daily um, parts of their life. And that's what we that's what we want. That's so good. I love that testimony. Just like the Lord is good and he loves people. And there's every situation we're in, there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity to minister his love. It doesn't have to look like, and you don't have to look like Carlos Anacondia, you know, up on the stage and seeing demons manifest when you walk in a room. You can be a, a, just a 
20-year-old girl on a train and say, wow, I think the Lord loves you even in the midst of your pain. Yeah. Just to make a point off of that, Becca, your personality really doesn't have anything to do with how the Lord wants to use you because when God begins to use the meek and the mild and the, and the ones that hardly ever talk, and when he gives them a word, everybody wants to listen. That's the person true. who talks all the time, everybody's so used to listening to them. They go, oh, yeah, they just, they tune they just it out. say. Yeah. <laughs> but with the person who hardly ever talks, we have a great testimony of one of our young men who's on staff with us now. And he went to a community. Uh, it was going to just help with the training weekend that Sherry was talking about. And the pastor said, hey, listen, I have a family in my office the lady's being diagnosed with a terminal disease. She's not going to be given much time to live. Uh, if you could, uh, if you guys get any word of the Lord for her, any any word of knowledge or prophecy for her, please come to the office. She doesn't even know Jesus. And and so this young man, he felt like he had a word. So he said, can I go to the office? And, and he, he's a guy that hardly ever says anything. And he went in the office and... and, and he didn't even have a word. To, yeah. He didn't even have a word. He just had something he was supposed to do. And he opens the door, and here's the, the, this elderly lady with her entire family. None of them know Jesus in the like past. five or six adult children. And, and, and he walks in the door, and he says, all I feel like is God said to come in here, and he, that I'm supposed to give you a hug, and this hug is from your heavenly Father. Wow. And he's a big guy, and he put his arms around this little lady and, and gave her a hug and just hugged her. And when he hugged her, like, she just broke she just felt this love of God come over her. And then he just walked out the door because, you know, he, he, that was all he was supposed to do was just give her that hug. And, and, and she just, she said, look to the pastor. She says, what was that? What happened? He goes, well, that was the love of God. And all of her kids began to cry. They were on their way home from the hospital because they were just told that there was no hope for her. So they were going to take her home and they had passed the church and decided just to walk in the church and see if, if they could help them in any way. That's how they ended up there. Wow. And as a result, the entire family gave their heart to the Lord, including, mm-hmm. including the, the elderly lady, because of that one hug. So it really has nothing to do with personality how, how God wants to use us. But it has more to do with just simple obedience. When we hear God say something, that we just respond to that mm. and move on that thing, whatever it may be. That's so good. Even if it's a hug or whatever, you know. Yeah, something that looks really simple in the natural. Yeah. yeah but, we build stuff up. We build up our expectation of what stuff is supposed to look like. And we've seen maybe really outgoing people. And we think that it has to be like that. But you're saying it's just oh, simple obedience is enough. Exactly. Another really cool story. We just heard about um, one of our staff members. Well, Lucas, who's our chief of staff, he and his new wife. He has a little sister, and uh, her name is Sammy. And, and she brought a friend to church. And, and this little gal, the other gal, I think, was about five years old, right, when they went to the hospital. We just mm-hmm. heard about this. And they, they went in the hospital. They were just going to go in the hospital and pray for people. And this gal was just little, five or six years old. And she ended up praying for someone that was had terminal cancer. Mm. And she just felt like she was supposed to pray That's for him. That's five-year-old. Yeah. Okay. And um, so she, but this is, this is from Lucas's church is how he knows. So they, she had went in and she asked this person if she could pray for him. And they said yes. And she prayed for him. And the next day the person was completely healed. Come completely. on. Completely. 
And so they tracked down where the church was, where this little girl went, because it was just down the just like two blocks away. And they said, and they told them what happened. They said, would you please send your kids to the hospital? We need more people that have experiences like this. That's amazing. So now like once a week, they have to go in. These little kids, they go in and they pray for people because... Because they've learned that that's just part of their inheritance, that they can do that. So the Lord is using the children to go into the hospital and see the sick healed. Come on. So it's, it's amazing. Yeah. That it's really amazing. Is amazing. It's and amazing. it all opened up because of this little five-year-old. That's yeah. so good. I love that. There's just all these testimonies just build me with faith that those little acts, yeah, those little acts of obedience really matter. I think sometimes we look... I know sometimes I look with my natural eyes and can get a little discouraged, but asking the father, what are you doing? What do you see here? Hmm. What's the opportunity? And she had just seen her older brothers and sister pray for people. And so she thought, well, why can't I do it? Sure. Well, and, as you're five, you just, that's, you don't even ask that. You're just, well, obviously I can yeah, if they can. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And we just want to encourage every person out there. That's if, right. if you're a mom or a dad or a grandma or a grandpa or an aunt or an uncle, just believe for your the people that you're influencing your family yeah. because your kids can be powerful. That's right. Becca, I want to touch on something that I think is really important for those that are listening. Don't let your past keep you from doing what God wants you to do. We teach this generation that, listen, your past, which is your wounds, your scars, the things that have happened to you, your rejections, all of your pains, once the Lord heals those, once he begins to pour his oil over those things, and, and instead of being a scar, they become like a medal of honor. Mm. So now you are a decorated veteran, so to speak. Now you have the authority to talk about certain things that maybe I don't have the authority to talk about because you went through them and God healed you. So take what happened in your past, let God heal you from that wound or that scar, and then let him use that as a weapon against the enemy to see others set free. It's a principle that we really feel is, is, is redemption. Yeah, it's okay. the blood of Jesus, the power of the cross, setting us free from the effect of sin, and not only setting us free from the effect of sin, but from all the shame that comes with sin and darkness and, and whatever's happened to us. Yeah. And when that happens, people begin to step into their calling and anointing and see other people set free it's amazing. Sure. That's huge. I it, love that picture. An illustration of that would be some of our girls who had been um, sexually abused and the Lord heals them up. And then every weekend they're out ministering to teenagers and always without fail, one of the teenagers, if not more, you know, have gone through something like that thinking no one will understand. And then this girl can minister to them. No, I went through this and Jesus healed me. Yeah. We have one girl on our staff, her name is Malena, and when she was nine years old, her dad was diagnosed as schizophrenic. When she was 12 years old, he threw himself in front of a train. So she's just entering into adolescence. She had just entered the castle ministry, and, um, and so as she's doing this, everybody gets around her and says, Molly, we're going to help you through this. Malena, you're not in this by yourself. And, and they just walked with her through it and helped her just capture the idea that you have a heavenly father who will never abandon you, that will never, will never maltreat you, that will never leave you. You know, he's always going to be with you. He's always going to help you. And she got so strong in that knowledge that God was her daddy that by the time she was 17, my national staff people came and said, we want her on national staff for wow. next year. Wow. So she came on staff when she was 18 years old. And I remember... 
two months into it, um, I remember asking her, Melina, we were at a church, and I felt like she was supposed to give her testimony. And I said, are you up to giving your testimony? And she says, sure, sure, not a problem. So she gets up in front of the church, and she tells them what I just told you. And then she said, now don't look at me with pity. She said, I'm not a victim. Come on. She said, I'm an overcomer. She, and <laughs> she said, I know who my daddy is. And I'm an overcomer. And, and, you know, I started to cry because it was like if anyone could play the victim card, boy, she could. But she wasn't having any of that. And we have seen her minister in incredible ways. And people that are so, um, sobrevivientes. Survivors. Survivors of, of um, suicide have just found somebody that understands their yeah. pain and can say, okay, this is what's happened to you, but yeah. that, doesn't, that doesn't define your future. You just leave that behind, and God's going to heal you and bring you to a place of victory. Yeah. Let me say this too, Becca. I just feel like I'm supposed to say this real quickly. You can edit this out if you need to. <laughs> what, sometimes the, the person you go, how can I have a concept of a healthy family when I came from a family that's not healthy? When we begin to understand our identity and our Father God, everything changes completely from the, from the ground up in our lives. And so we have a young man on our staff. He was rejected by his father when he was still in his mother's womb. And he never knew a, a male figure his entire life until he really came to this ministry at 18 years old. Hmm. He never knew, he never had any type of a positive male figure in his life. For, for those eight, first 18 years. When he stands up in a training weekend and talks about family, he has an anointing that causes kids to just break down and cry and, 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 rep- and be healed from their wounds because he talks about family with such authority because he has his identity and, and as God is his father. So your past does not determine your future in this, nor does it dictate to you that you will always be scarred, always live in the shadow of of the mistakes of of the previous generation or of your parents, of your grandparents or whatever. The cross sets us free from all of that. And when we embrace our Father God, we get a brand new identity and we see things in a totally different light including how we look at other people, how we relate to other people, who we are. Yeah. Our identity becomes solid and confident, and we, became, become, we become solid people in God. This young man, um, was he finally understood that he was believing lies, and these lies were holding him back. And uh, it was during one of the class times when the instructor began to say, okay, let's just ask God if there are any lies that we're believing that's holding us back. So everyone got real quiet. Now, the thing about lies is you think they're truth. Sure. They're in your life. So you need God's revelation to show you it's a lie. And so one by one, the students began to voice the lies that the enemy had convinced them. And And then the instructor said, okay, let's be quiet. Now let's ask the Lord, what's the truth? Give them your lies and ask for the truth truth. Well, when he got to this young man, he was so broken that all he could see was the lies. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he said, well, what do you, what, what are the lies that you're believing? And he said, well, what I'm believing about myself is that I'm, I'm a failure. I, I'm not, I can't do anything right. And I'm ugly, you know, and, and he's, and, and the instructor said, okay, let's just laugh at that. Cause that's just, that's just hilarious. You know, we cannot take that as the truth. That's just, you know, and, and, and so he made everybody laugh at that. And when they began to laugh at the lies, 
this young man all of a sudden felt something break on the inside. Mm. And he said, okay, now we're gonna, I want you to say the truth. I want you to say, I'm important, I have a purpose, and I'm good looking. Well, the guy about croaked on that. He's like, I'm important. No, so now you say it like you mean it. Because I'm important. I'm good looking. I'm in the other one. I have a purpose. And when he said that, the Holy Spirit just filled the room. Mm. And he said, say it again. I'm important. I have a purpose. I'm good looking. It intensified. Yeah. He said, say it again. He said it about four or five times. And everyone in the room was crying. Mm. They were around him, hugging him. And that was a before and after. Yeah. And that young man has never been the same. Now so he's good. had to continue walking it yeah. out and believing it. But let me tell you, God has incredibly restored his sense of Son, he is an important son for the kingdom, and he's an in, just incredible carrier of the presence. So don't let people define who you are. Let your Father God define who you are. What He says in His Word is absolutely true about you. You know, not what everybody, not what you feel or what other people feel about you. That's good. And you do have to walk it out. That's a good point. Is is you have these these moments where you just break through. But then you get up the next day and you're like, whoa, is any of that true? And it comes knocking on the door again. Those lies come right in. And even in your brain, there's a pattern that you've created believing those lies. Uh, So it takes time and intentionality and a community Mm -hmm. around you who Mm -hmm. are speaking the truth. So I just want to say to people like... If you, if you have these breakthrough moments and then the next day or a week later, it doesn't feel different, that doesn't invalidate what happened. Exactly. That's actually even, I think, greater proof that it's powerful. You just, we just have to walk it out. Yeah. It's important to keep going, to keep believing, even when you don't feel it, to keep believing that what happened and what God said is true. Yeah. You have yeah. to keep pushing the reset button. The reset button has to keep bringing you back to the truth, not to the lie. That's right. That's good. <laughs> That's really good. The other day, this young man, um, he did something. Kim had asked him to do something, and, and he answered with such confidence. And he just took that new opportunity. And where before, he would have always been so timid because he never knew if he, what if I mess up? And he just took that situation and ran with it. And Kim just looked at him, and the Lord said, he's a son. Come on. And, you know, we just saw this transformation. And it, like you said, it takes it's worth it, though. Push through. If you feel like there's something that's holding you back, stop and say, okay, God, what lie am I believing? And when you hear that lie, it might sound like the truth because you believed it for so long. But if it doesn't sound like Father God, hand it to Father God and say, what truth do you want me to put in place of this lie? Yeah. And then write it down, put it on your mirror, put it in your refrigerator, wherever you're going to see the it. The truth. The <laughs> truth. And speak that truth over yourself. You know, start agreeing yeah, with what God really thinks good. about you and quit agreeing with what the devil's saying about you. If, if you guys that are listening are in ministry too, I don't know how many of you are in ministry, but it, always remember the person is more important than the production or the minister is more important than the ministry. You know, so that so that you're really taking care of people. You're not just trying to get results. Mm, that's good. Uh, because the results come from from the Lord, not from us. If we take care of the people, the results will follow down the road. That's up to God. Yeah, I think that applies for people that aren't in ministry, just in, in business, life. whatever in, in life. Like, take yeah. care of the person in front of you. Love the one in front of you, and the Lord will He'll take care of the rest. Like, yeah. what does the kingdom look like in this situation? It does look like love. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. So I just want to shift gears a little bit. Well, let me, let me say this. What is one thing you would say that you want young people to know? Like you, you have one piece of advice or one, you get one 
thing to say to those who either are teaching uh, the next generation or who are part of the generation themselves? What would you say to them? I think just what we've been saying in, the, yeah. in, this, in this podcast, I would want every young person to know that they have a father, that they're not abandoned, they're not an orphan. They have a father that loves them, that has a purpose for their life. They're not an accident. Yeah. They're not here by chance. They have been chosen to be born yeah. in this season, in this time, in this age right now. And God has a divine purpose for their life. He, he does not love them for what he can get out of them. He loves them because they're his children. He gave his only son for them. Obviously, this basic message, but the, 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 the gospel message that they are important to God and that, that God has given them, he, he has made all of heaven available to them. Come on. So they're not restricted by their economy, by their last name, by their nationality, by their skin color. By, they're, they're not restricted by that. God has a, a divine plan for them and, and that he really wants them to know that he loves them as a son or as a daughter. And to go along with that, that they're not alone. Now, God will give them all the power they need and all of the, the gifts that they need. And they're just not alone. Jesus is there to tell your secrets to. The Holy Spirit is there to give you guidance and counsel and, and consolation and hugs. And I mean, God has you covered. You don't have to do this thing by yourself. Um, you do need a church family or some people that are around you that can, that can give you the pep talks you need sometime because we're a body. We're not just a little finger out on its own. That finger has to be connected to the arm. It has to be connected to the heart, you know, to get the blood moving. But, and that's the body. But most, even when your best friend isn't available, Jesus is available. Holy Spirit is available. Father God will give you hugs. And uh, just so you know, you're not alone. And to piggyback off your identity, uh, Becca is the, the, that every young people would know this. When they have their identity, when they know who they are, then they have a purpose. Mm. And so it's not like they're non-productive. They're not just sitting at their house every day. They have a purpose, but their purpose comes out of their identity. Yeah, not the way around. Yeah, they're not trying to prove themselves to God. They know who they are. And all of a sudden, their productivity is massive. (laughs) But they're not tired out. Mm -hmm. They're not striving. They're simply walking out what they're living. And so, so many people go after success. What is success? Well, how much I have, how much I own, uh, you know, or or how many things I possess? No, it's knowing who I am in God, knowing who I am. And then whatever I have in my hand, it's going to glorify God, not not just bring me self-gratification. It's going to bring glory to him and it's going to be a blessing, not a burden. So many people have so many things, but they're not blessed. They still live in slavery. So true success is knowing who we are and then walking in that. That's so good. And then, and then whatever profession we're in, yep. we can become the best. We should be the best doctor, the best lawyer because okay. of who we know yep. and who we're, who we're associated with. The best plumber, the best electrician, exactly. the best carpenter, the Ex- best mechanic. Whatever it is. Yeah. Whatever it is. It doesn't, yeah. The best mom, the best dad. The best the artist. Best the best, friend. yeah. Yeah, I love that. It's so good and coming from a place of identity. So uh, I have two more questions for you and then we'll wrap this up. But one is, the uh, first one is, how do each of you hear from the Lord? And how have you grown in hearing from the Lord? Um, you know, you, people. some people see things. Some people have feelings. I hear more than anything. I just like a... Just a like an internal hearing? An internal hearing, yeah. Just like 
from the inside. Yeah, and that's something I have, have had to really go after, really go after. I've wanted to hear God since I was 16 years old. And, um, and there's times it's just like you, you hear from the inside, you just know something. And, and then there's other times when I'm trying to hear and I'm going back and forth. But many times, and, and if I'm not sure, I'll try to, get, uh, try to ask God a yes or no question. And then if I feel like there's a yes on it, I'll just think about it a minute. And if the peace is there, it's like, okay. And if the peace isn't there, no matter what, you, whatever, what I thought I heard or whatever, I wait for the peace because the peace will always confirm it with the word of God. And obviously it has to sound like the Bible. Yeah. When I say, what does God sound like? I pick up the Bible. I say, God sounds like this. And if for some reason you hear something that's not here, that's not God, throw it out. Yeah. But um, yeah, so it has to be confirmed by the word or the principles confirmed by the word, but I hear it on the inside. So my answer would be very similar, Becca. Uh, when I was a very young teenager, 15 years old, came to know Jesus and I would be I would just feel overwhelmed and my grandmother would say, take your Bible. And I, lived, I grew up in the Catskill Mountains of upstate New York. And she would say, go up on the mountain and pray, talk to God. And so I'd take my Bible and I would go on the mountain and that's where I really learned to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Taking my Bible, like Sherry said, the voice of God always sounds like his word. If it doesn't sound like his word, it's not his voice. That's right. So if it's not based on truth, it's not God because God is a God of truth. He never lies. He never deceives. He never misleads. He only speaks what's absolutely truth and it brings transformation and freedom. So as... Uh, as I just learned to listen to God. So even now, if I'm going to learn to, if I'm going to hear God, I may not have the opportunity. If I need to hear God in a, on the spur of a moment, I may not have the opportunity to go to the mountain, so to speak physically, but to stop and to say, God, I need you to speak to me. I need to know what to do right now. And he will faithfully lead us. And like Sherry said, the, the, the signal light of the Holy Spirit is the green light is peace. The red light is when we don't have peace. Right. So when God speaks, it will be accompanied by peace. So the Bible says, let, you know, we present our requests to God in Philippians, you know, and, and, and with all, we, we, we present these requests to the Lord and then the peace of God will rule our hearts and minds. So when we've heard from God, we have this solid peace that's reigning over what we're thinking. And obviously it's, it's lined up with what he says in his, in his word. It's not lined up with what, what we're sensing that we need to do, what we need to say to somebody or a decision we need to make. And so it, it's that solid peace reigning over what, we're, what we feel God is telling us to do. Colossians 3.15 and Philippians 4, 6, and 7 back that up. That's great. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, my last question for you guys is, where are you daring to believe God right now? Where is he stretching? This is... We always need to grow in our, in our risk-taking. What was scary for us, you know, 10 years ago or five years ago isn't that scary anymore because you mm -hmm. grow. So yeah. to keep, keep moving forward in the kingdom, to keep growing in faith, you need to keep taking risks, which is scary. You have mm -hmm. to believe the Lord. But I know the two of you, and I know that that's the life, mm -hmm. that's the life that you've chosen to live without any, without any holding back. I think um, there's... There's, one, there's something I'm going after, and one of the ways I'm going after it is praying in the Spirit more. Um, 
The more I pray in the spirit, the more, quote, coincidences, unquote, happen, more supernatural things. There's really nothing more supernatural you can do than pray in a language that you've never learned. And it gives <laughs> the Lord incredible opportunity to open doors, to shut doors, to set up situations. It's just amazing. So I'm trying to pray in the spirit much, much more. And uh, one of the things I really want to see is learning disabilities be healed. Come on. Because dyslexia, Asperger's, autism, I just feel like those kids are trapped in situations that is not God's perfect will. Um, obviously, he's allowed it, but I just think that he's waiting for us to do battle until we can figure out how to get authority over those things. And so... Um, Praying that we have seen one gal with dyslexia completely healed, and that was in one of the one of the groups we were in. But we want to see so much more, yeah. Because I feel like that's something that really hinders the young people, and and who knows what the reasons always are. You know, sometimes there might be genetic, but many times it might be the things we eat, whatever. You know, who knows? But God knows, and God has an answer, and it can be something that can just let this person be be um, liberated to be all that God wants them to be. Yeah. Okay, my lifelong ministry goal right now is to, wherever I go, to answer your question, Becca, what am I believing God for? Wherever I go, that the body of Christ knows who they are, that I can help yes, Lord. establish the identity of the body of Christ with the words that God's given me and the revelation that he's spoken to my heart. And I believe as a, from being a pastor that so many of the conflicts in the church are related to identity that if people knew who they were, they would change the culture of the church. And so I'm really after this global-wide cultural change in the body of Christ, that we would grow up into the knowledge of Jesus, as it says in Ephesians chapter four, that we would complete the work of the ministry, that every person in the body of Christ would be seeing the sick healed, seeing the lame walk, seeing the dead raised, that it would be such a part of our cross. And we would not get our identity from that, but we would get our identity from as being sons and daughters and that we would begin to move into those power gifts. So that's my lifelong goal. That's my challenge right now. Wherever I preach, wherever I speak, that I would bring that culture to that place. Hmm. I love that. That's so good. Guys, thank you so much for spending time with us and blessing us with your stories, your testimonies, and your wisdom. And it's really a treat to be with people that have walked it out for a long time. This isn't, you're not burning for just a year. You haven't been burning for a few days or at a conference or something, but a lifestyle of it. And you've imparted it to your children and that's fun. Um, gave me a good friend and, and your daughter, so I'm grateful for that. Um, but if people are hearing this and they want to contact you or um, partner with you in some way, what's the best way for someone to get a hold of you or, or um, is there a website or um, probably an email would be the very best yeah yeah so what I'd say is if you're hearing this then go ahead and email me and I'll get make sure that your email goes Great. on so Great. Rebecca at dare to believe dot biz that's Rebecca R-E-B-E-C-C-A at dare the number two believe dot biz and just uh, write it out for Kim and Sherry there and I'll make sure that they get it Okay, and Sherry, uh, are there some resources? There's a book that you guys have, some resources that yeah. I've actually seen this and read it. I think it's great. So It's called Be Supernatural, an activation manual, and you can get it from Amazon. All proceeds go to keeping our ministry afloat. 
and it's just full of testimonies. And at the end of every chapter is an activation exercise to just push you to cross the your comfort zone, comfort line into the supernatural. That's awesome. I'll link that in the show notes as well. So go ahead and check that book out. It is a great tool. Thank you, Rebecca, for thank you, Rebecca, for the opportunity to share with with your listeners. And we just believe that you guys that are dreaming out there, that God has put a dream in your heart. Don't stop believing that dream. Keep going after it. Keep believing God. Keep daring to believe God. And don't don't put that fire out. Keep putting wood on that fire. Keep believing. God, keep trusting. It will happen. Come on. In God's time, in God's way, it will happen. And it will be better than what you thought it was going to be. That's so good. Would you, uh, would you guys pray for us and pray for our listeners? Sure, we would. Thank you, Jesus, for this time. And we just ask, Lord, that you would help every one of these listeners, Lord Jesus, to, um, to achieve the dreams that you have for them. I know that you're dreaming dreams for every one of them. And I pray, Lord, that they would be able to live their life, an adventurous life with you, where they can see you move every day and that they can see people be um, saved out of out of hellish situations and saved from an eternity without you. And we pray, Lord Jesus, also that there'll be healings and all kinds of deliverances and all kinds of wonderful things, Lord, that will accompany Lord, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. And everyone that is listening, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Guys, thank you so much. Kim, Sherry Babcock, thank you for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Dare to Believe podcast. We are grateful for you, our listeners. You can find out more about us at our website dare to believe.info that's dare the number two believe.info also to make sure you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes subscribe to us on apple itunes or however you listen to your podcasts and go ahead and leave a five-star rating while you're at it thank you guys